So I'm very blessed to be here, and uh, we're covering a topic which is uh, difficult to cover uh, in the time that we have. Um, okay, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong time right there, so that kind of freaked me out. A minute and 34 seconds, and I'm like, <laughs> yep, we are not going to do well. My name's Dave Carlson. Thank you very much. Uh, so we're going to try to cover very, from a very high altitude, this uh, concept of uh, end times. I remember when I was about 11 years old, so it would have been about 1981, that my parents took me uh, to a movie that had just come out, um, and uh, it was at the local high school, because we had no movie houses in the town I was from, um, and I think it was Years of the Beast was the name of this movie, um, and it was a, a movie about eschatology, which is a $2 word that simply means study of the end times. Um, and I remember sitting through that movie, and it was about the beast, and it was about the number of the beast, and the rapture, and all of the crazy stuff that's associated with the end times, and I was scared to death by this movie. And a few weeks later, a week or two later, or a month later, I remember the school bus dropping me off. It was about a quarter of a mile walk down to where my house was. I got down to my house, and nobody was home. And I thought the rapture had happened. <laughs> and this little 11-year-old boy is left all by himself to Satan or whatever was going to happen. <laughs> Our official statement uh, as an eldership, and, and I didn't get pull it up. I, I looked a little bit, but not too hard. But I am an elder, so I have a little bit of freedom in kind of telling you what our official statement is. Uh, our official statement is, Jesus is coming back at a time unknown to us. Fulfill the Great Commission until that time comes. It's kind of that simple. Um, there's a lot of... A lot of confusion, that is the clear statement that we have uh, at, the, at the basic bottom line. Um, many of you are hoping that I'm going to tell you uh, the date that Jesus is coming back, who the beast is, who is the Antichrist, uh, what is the mark of the beast. You will be disappointed because I'm not going to tell you any of those things. Uh, because, mainly because in my 49 years of life, I've watched other people tell me who they think those or when those dates are, or what all is going to happen, and so far, none of those things have turned out to be true. So I would tell you I'm not all that smart, but I'm not quite that stupid either as to give you those kinds of things. I do want to uh, preface this uh, with a couple of things. Uh, I am a plumber in North Idaho. Come on. So, so I am not a theologian. Uh, this isn't my, what I do every single day is talk about uh, the book of Revelation or these things. Uh, I am a, a student of the word and I have prepared a lot for this. But by the same token, just so you know, yesterday I loaded a tractor onto a trailer that only had three tires and the steering column was disconnected. So how smart can that really be? All right. <laughs> We were successful. We did get it on there, but uh, I won't say that it's smart. My, my wife sat over to the side watching me laughing, uh, thinking this was quite funny. Um, I also want you to know that 
a lot of what I'm going to share with you is not that what I've come up with. I read commentaries. I read books. Believe it or not, I can read, even though I am from Idaho, a little <laughs> town called Kamei. Uh, and if all of those things fail, I even go to the ultimate authority, which is the internet, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, there is one book in particular, uh, author by the name of Stephen Gregg, uh, wrote a book, uh, Four Views of uh, Revelation, Four Views, uh, and that would be a great resource if you're interested further in this topic. Um, and Stephen Gregg is somebody who I look up to. Uh, I'm not going to espouse a particular view. I'm going to uh, go through this and not give you necessarily what my views are because it's not terribly important for you to know what my views are. It's important for you to study out the Bible for yourself and find out what God is stressing in your life. Um, but I'm, I will later be presenting basically four views of uh, Revelation, four ways to process that information. I have people that I esteem very highly, look up to very highly, who have differing views. on Somebody in every one of those categories uh, that I look up to. So I'm not going to tell you what I believe because I think that there's probably people a whole lot smarter than me uh, who could uh, give you a, a case uh, that would totally destroy mine. So even though I do have a leaning, uh, so there's certainly several places that we could go in the Bible if we want to study this concept of eschatology or end times. Certainly a lot of Old Testament um, uh, books, books like Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Isaiah, several that you would go to to look uh, and that would be resources. In the New Testament, you might go to the Olivet Discourse, uh, which is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, but today, for our purposes right now, uh, we're going to simply focus in on the book of Revelation. So let me give you just a little bit of background on what is the book of Revelation. And, and I guess first off, I'll point out that it is called the book of Revelation, not the book of Revelations. Um, and that is a common mistake that people make, and it's a hard habit to break. And so, uh, but I, I'm just pointing that out. Um, the author is a, who, who I would, most commentators by and large would agree that the author of the book of Revelation is John the Apostle, uh, the son of Zebedee, uh, brother of James, the beloved disciple of Jesus, uh, by and large that, but there of, of course are within Christian scholars, people who disagree with that, uh, and would give two other options. One is just an imposter. Somebody who came in uh, and wrote the book of Revelation, and the last was just some uh, Jewish prophet by the name of John. I suppose it took uh, John's disciple, uh, the, which is this would be extra biblical. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily recognize, even if you were thoroughly familiar with the Bible, the name Polycarp, because Polycarp was John the apostle's disciple, and then Irenaeus who was Polycarp's disciple, and people around like Justin Martyr who knew, uh, who, who knew John and said, yeah, John the Apostle, yes, this one, wrote the book of Revelation. Um, so there's some, I, I take it personally, and you can take my word with a grain of salt, but most commentators would say, yes, indeed, that means my time is up. <laughs> 
Um, thank you. My name is Dave Carlson once again. Um, most commentators would agree that it was John. Uh, where was it written? It was written from a prison island of Patmos. So uh, John got in some trouble for preaching the gospel, and they said, don't do that. And you know what John did? He kept preaching the gospel. And so Rome said, well, we're going to be gracious to you and not kill you. We're going to ship you off to this island where there's nobody for you to, to talk to. Um, and so that's where John had this vision. Uh, the date that is written, there is certainly a bunch of conflict on the date that the book of Revelation was written. Uh, there is an early date that would be around 67 AD under the emperor of Rome, Nero, and then a late date, which is around 95 AD, which would be under the emperor of Rome, Domitian. I won't go into that yet. It will, we'll talk more about this later, about this conflict. But for now, let's just keep moving on with the background of Romans. It was a time of persecution in the church, but not necessarily uh, uh, on the scale of, national, of, of Rome, specifically nationally trying to persecute Christians at this particular time. Uh, there was certainly local skirmishes. Uh, John the Apostle was the last apostle remaining alive. All the rest of them had been killed. So it wasn't like, hey, we're living in fields of flowers. Uh, they were being killed for their faith, but it wasn't a national crusade against Christianity. M probably more of the persecution came from uh, non-believing Jews. Uh, if you have read much of Paul's writing, uh, Paul's letters, he is constantly dealing with uh, uh, Judaizers and non-believing Jews, and um, so that's where most, much of the persecution came from. Okay, so now let's transition. There was the background. Let's transition to this four, what I would call grids or approaches to the book of Revelation. Uh, now, as an American living in 2019, probably most of you don't even don't know that there's more than one view on how to interpret the chapters and verses in Revelation. So let's start number one with. Um, uh, actually, let me let me jump back one step before I do that because I want to cover one last thing in review uh, of the book of Revelation. It's written as a letter. It's written also as a prophecy. And lastly, it's written as in apocalyptic style. So it is the only book of the Bible that is a letter and a prophecy. Uh, it's the only book of the New Testament that is written as a prophecy. Uh, there are 17, if you know the major and minor prophets of the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it is the only prophetic book as a whole. Uh, and it uh, stands out in that way. It is uh, a, I mentioned before, it was written in apocalyptic style language. That is a style of language that we are, uh, there's no modern authors writing in this style. Uh, maybe like, uh, uh, what's that, what's the series that you like, Seth, those movies that you like? Lord of the Rings, yeah. Uh, maybe something like that would be on the same uh, uh, style as that. Um, <laughs> would be on the same style, but those, are, as far as I know, those aren't depicting actual events. No, 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 evidently not. 
Um, the book of Roman uh, of Revelation is indeed depicting actual uh, events. It tells us. So let me give you this. This is a a uh, a prelude to a book of the Old Testament. If you had most of you hopefully read the Old Testament books, this is a. I'll give you this this little clue. It's a historical narrative. This book that we're getting ready to read the prelude to. And so by reading this prelude, which is simply a description of the book, you should easily be able to tell me what Old Testament book of the Bible this is. Uh, and if you've been in one of the, obviously, Saturday or earlier Sunday, please don't, please don't make me look like an idiot. But if this is your first time, then I'm going to read this and see if you can tell which book of the Bible this is, the prelude. And this was his dream. Behold, noise and confusion, thunders and earthquakes, tumult upon the earth. And behold, two great dragons came forward, both ready to fight, and they roared terribly. And at their roaring, every nation prepared for war to fight against the nation of the righteous. And behold, a day of darkness and gloom, tribulation and distress, affliction and great tumult upon the earth. And the whole righteous nation was troubled. They feared the evils that threatened them and were ready to perish. Then they cried to God, and from their cry as though through a tiny spring, there came a great river with abundant water. Light came and the sun rose and the lowly were exalted and consumed those held in honor. So uh, who has a guess for me what book of the Old Testament that is the prelude to? I mean, it just described the events of the book right there. So you should easily be able to tell me what book of the Bible that was. No guesses in this service. At least there were some. Yes. Very good guess. Very good guess. It's not right, but it is a very good guess. So there were, there were some, Daniel, there were many of them. And so you had 39 options and nobody uh, guessed the right one. It is the book of Esther. Actually, if you've ever written the book, read, if you've ever written the book, then I want to meet you. Uh, if you've ever read the book of Esther, you know that it is a, a wonderful story that sounds nothing like what this says. Uh, this is written in, uh, the reason I read this is uh, it's written in this style of writing that is unfamiliar to us necessarily in, in descriptiveness. We like facts. We like it to, to be literary. We like it, and, and this is not in that style. This particular prelude, and there is a postscript to it, uh, are in the Catholic Bible, which if you've ever looked at a Catholic Bible, it has a, a section that is unfamiliar to us as Protestants uh, because we have a canon of 66 books in our Bible. But between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, there's a 400-year period called the intertestamental period. And many Jewish writers wrote apocryphal uh, books that are contained in uh, this particular style of writing uh, in Catholic Bibles. We don't include them, um, but it was, just so you know, a very real style of writing that Jewish people wrote in. It's unfamiliar to our ears. So why did I take just all that much time to talk about that? Because when we approach reading this book, we have to understand that 
it's, it's not something that is just going to come easily to us. Okay, let me jump back to where I just about was headed to on these four approaches or grids. The first one I want to talk about is the historicist. Uh, the historicist is not, I'll tell you right now, it's not, there's no modern commentator that supports this particular view, but it was so popular by many of the people who I, I as I said before, I read commentaries uh, and I look to other people for what their concepts. I don't agree with every concept that's promoted by every commentator, even though I may respect them. Uh, many of the commentators who I read and who, if you read commentaries at all uh, to help you in your Bible study, you'll be familiar with, but it's a, it was widely held by Protestants from the time of the Reformation, so from about the 1500s all the way up to the 20th century. It was by and far the most predominantly held uh, grid or approach to understanding uh, the, of the book of Revelation. Uh, it is the, their, their, uh, what they would say is Revelation is the pre-written record of the course of history from the time of John to the end of the world. In other words, Revelation is a fulfillment in progress. We're seeing it slowly take place through the ages from the time John wrote it until Christ returns. That differs from every other view of Scripture, meaning, okay, so if you want to look at Revelation 8.6 through 9.6, they would say that that covers, or some would say that it covers from 390 A.D. to 1495 A.D., uh, and then so on and so forth throughout the time of history, which is an amazing idea. One of the problems with it is that people who adhere to this, no, nobody could really agree on what events actually corresponded to what chapters of Revelation, and sometimes it would change as events, as time kept getting longer and longer, right? <laughs> nobody necessarily thought in the 1500s that we would still be here in 2019. So events changed, it grew. Um, so let me mention some of the adherents to this. Many of the commentators you might have read include Matthew Henry, or, or just people that might be familiar. Matthew Henry, Albert Barnes, John Wesley, Adam Clark, Huss, Wycliffe, Tyndale, Luther, Calvin, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney. I recognize all those names uh, because those are all people who I respect their walk with God. Well, they had a different eschatological view than me. That, that doesn't crush me. Um, the next one I want to go on to is preterism or a preterist. That's another grid or way of looking at the book of Revelation. Preterist simply means, it's a Latin word that simply means past. We just covered the future, the historicist. Now it's the preterist. The preterist would say that the fulfillment of most of Revelation prophecies have already occurred in the past, preterism pastus, uh, that they occurred in AD 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem. So you may or may not be familiar with that history that in about 66 AD, the Jewish wars began. There began to be revolts among Jewish zealots that rose up, began to rise up against the, the Rome, Rome's authority over them. Uh, that did not end well for the Jewish people, unfortunately. It is estimated in that AD 70, when Jerusalem was destroyed, that as many as a million Jewish people were killed. So it was really 
the Holocaust of that time, many preterists would say that that is what the book of Revelation was talking about. But in order for that to be true, for it to be a prophecy looking forward, it had to be written in about 67. You see what I mean when I say that those early dates and last dates are important? Preterism rises and falls on an early date uh, because it, uh, uh, Revelation says it's a prophecy. It's looking forward. It wouldn't be that cool if John wrote this prophecy actually in 95, looking back at something that happened in AD 70. Um, there are some things that, uh, that really support this particular view. Uh, one of them is that when you read Revelation 22, 20, uh, it says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Uh, and there are several references. If you read the book of Revelation, there are several references to these things that are going to happen immediately. Some of you won't pass away until these things happen. Um, it would be a very cruel joke if somebody, if we were here in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho at this church service, and we were suffering persecution, and people were being martyred, and so on and so forth, uh, for a prophecy to come forth and say, hey, these are the things, these, this is, these things are going to happen quickly, and, and uh, so on and so forth, uh, and then it actually not pertain to any of you, but it actually pertained to people 2,000 years later, right? Wow. That, would be, that would be difficult. To, to... So that has this in its favor. Um, the biggest thing I would say that it has, uh, one, one other thing it has in its favor is there was a Jewish historian named Josephus, and Josephus was not a Christian. He would have no occasion to read the book of Revelation. And he describes, as a historian, uh, this uh, AD 70, the destruction of Jerusalem. And you can go through and make some similarities. There's some things that you kind of go, wow, Josephus says this, John says this. One of these things is John, uh, in, his, in the book of Revelation, says that there's going to be 100-pound hailstones that rain down. Josephus talks about this siege on Jerusalem with 100, he calls them a talent, which equals 100 pounds, rocks that are catapulted over the wall by the Romans to destroy Jerusalem that were white. These rocks were white that they threw over. So there's just some interesting parallels that, that the reason I share those things, because if you've never heard that, you're kind of like, if the, the, this preterist view, you're kind of like, oh, this can't be true. Well, there's legitimately people who are honest, uh, sincere, pious followers of Jesus Christ who hold this view, and it's not just that they pulled it out of a hat somewhere. There's, there's reasons why they might hold this view. Uh, the next, the next uh, uh, of, the, of the four, the third one I want to talk about is the futurist view. And by far, the futurist view is the one that most of America in 2019, or since I was a child, uh, since probably the 21st century, have been exposed to. In fact, uh, you probably don't know that there was even another view outside of this one. Um, it is the idea that the majority of the prophecies found in the book of Revelation have not been fulfilled and are awaiting future fulfillment 
Everything after chapter 4 applies to a short period of time that will occur just before the return of, of Christ. Does that one sound familiar to some of you? That does to me. I mean, that's, that's the one I've been exposed to my entire life. Um, at this point in time, most commentators would support this by and large, that this uh, futurism is what the book of Revelation is talking about. So I'll just let you know that right up front. If, if you're just going by a survey um, of commentators, they would support this one uh, by and far. Um, they are the ones that would take the, uh, the book of Revelation the most literal. Uh, they would say, and, and you know, even futurists know that there are parts of Revelation that are difficult to understand, that are very uh, imagery-driven. Uh, you know, you don't just see that many locusts that are going around with the tail of a, a scorpion. Uh, you know, you just there's something else going on here um, that are led by a, a king. Um, the, the one thing that is said against it is that it is maybe the most negative of all of the views, uh, that the world is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and the church will be raptured out uh, if just before the tribulation happens. And so all we need to do as Christians is just hang on, get a bunch of guns, a bunch of bullets, get a place to bug out to, and hang on until the rapture happens, uh, and, and to hell with the earth, right? Um, that, is the, that would be the negative, very, very negatively depicted uh, um, view of that. Um, I would hope that if you are a futurist, you would not hold that view in the least bit. Because as I said, as an eldership, we are to fulfill the great commission until he comes. So no matter what your view of the end times is, we still have a mandate upon our lives. The last one I'm going to talk about is the idealist. Uh, some commentators would not call it idealist, uh, but some would call it, some would call it non-literal, allegorical, symbolic, or poetic interpretation. And still others would call it philosophy of history school. It would say that Revelation does not attempt to find individual or specific fulfillment in the prophecies of Revelation in the historical or futuristic sense, but affirm only that spiritual lessons and principles, which may find recurrent expression throughout history, are symbolically depicted in the visions. In other words, Revelation is simply this great drama, poetic drama that has no anchor necessarily in a time, in a place, in a people. It is simply imagery that, that in every age of the Christian church has a struggle between good and evil, has a struggle between uh, Christ and Satan, has a struggle between the saints and the anti-Christian forces that are out there. Um, and that is a way of filtering the book of Revelation. It removes all of the angst that somebody might have of trying to figure out this cosmic code of what this book means that a futurist uh, might be looking at. Uh, and it allows them to, every generation, to simply relate to the book of Revelation as, uh, as for what it is, which is just simply a poem. Uh, the, one, the one thing that 
is difficult about that view is that Revelation 1.1 is predicting events that must shortly come to pass, right? So it seems like it's pointing to real events, real people, real things. So whichever one of those that you come to um, is, is what I, I'm just simply educating you on those. I'm not sharing with you or not trying to share with you which one of those I would hold. I do have a particular leaning, but uh, I pray that just simply by sharing what those are and articulating those, that it can help formulate as you read through the book of Revelation where you would stand on that. Uh, there's really relatively little debate over chapters one through three. It just deals with this letter to seven churches, beginning with Ephesus, uh, ending with Laodicea. Uh, not too much conflict. You're, a bunch of stuff going on, right, between from there to about chapter 19. And then you hit chapter 20, which blows up, and there's a ton of conflict over how people view this thing called the millennium. Uh, the millennium simply means a thousand years, and there's three, uh, although somebody did catch up with me after the service this last one and say that there's really four, but there's pre, post, amillennialism, and then he said panmillennialism, which it'll all just pan out in the end is what he told me. So I, I think I have heard that somewhere in, in my growing up. Uh, but anyway, pre-millennialism is a belief that the second coming of Christ will precede the millennial kingdom, a period during which Christ will reign with his saints here on earth prior to the establishment of the eternal new heavens and new earth. Satan's brief period of freedom will put humanity to one final test just before the final judgment. National Israel is central in God's eschatological program and in anticipation of a rapture of Christians to heaven before the beginning of the tribulation. Futurists are inclined towards this one. Doesn't mean that futurists can't be one of the other ones, but futurists are inclined to that. And with amongst futurists and historicists, there are some people who would classify themselves also as dispensationalists. And I know I'm throwing out a ton of words here that hopefully doesn't cause your eyes to glaze over, but some people I ask at one of the services, have they people heard of dispensationalism and say yes. So let me just very briefly describe what dispensationalism is in its very most basic form. In its most basic form, it is that promotes the concept that there are dispensations of time. And one dispensation, God dealt specifically with the Jewish nation. So the national Jewish people uh, and the ground that they were on or came to. Right now we live in a different dispensation of time. We live in the church age where God is predominantly dealing with Gentiles. Certainly, I, I would pray that we have more and more Jewish people come in to this church age understanding of who Jesus Christ is every day, but predominantly he's dealing with Gentiles, and then there will be another dispensation of time where God returns again to deal with uh, national Judaism, Jews as a nation. Hopefully that makes sense. It's only a side. Dispensationalism is a whole bunch more than that, but I don't have a lot more time to talk about it, but in its barest form, that's what it is. Uh, post Postmillennialism, Christ will return at the end of the millennial period. The evangelistic mission will be so successful 
that most people will become Christians, resulting in a lengthy period of peace on earth before Christ's second coming. Preterists are inclined towards this. And I know this sounds very foreign to our ears, that what, you know, the world's getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And certainly there would be things in America that would make you think that. But when you look worldwide, I mean, what's happening in China right now with the spread of the gospel or what's happening in some other countries where the gospel is absolutely exploding uh, and going forth like it never has before. So to just dismiss this one uh, without looking at it or thinking about it, I think would be a mistake. And then lastly, amillennialism. The thousand years of Revelation 20 is seen as a symbolic number representing an indefinitely long period of time corresponding to the entire span of time between Christ's first and second coming. This span of time is referred to as the church age. Most aspects of Revelation are taken as symbolic. The binding of Satan happened at the cross. The reign of the saints is the present age. The loosening of Satan is a final period of deception coming on the world in the end of this age. The fire from heaven that devours the wicked is the second coming of Christ. So rarely futurists hold this view, but any of the other ones can hold this view. But it sounds very much uh, um, like the idealist, right? I mean, with all this kind of this, it's symbolic, it's, it's all these things, um, but that, that is amillennialism. Let me give you in the last moments here as I'm beginning to close down just a couple of helpful hints as you read the book of Revelation. Uh, the first one is looking at numbers. Now, not every American is this way, but a lot of Americans want numbers to add up to certain things, right? I mean, two plus two equals four every time. In the book of Revelation, because it's in this different style of language. We have to twist our mind just a little bit to understand that, the, like, say, the number seven, which is all through the book of Revelation. There's seven everythings in the book of seven thunders, seven bowls, seven lamps, uh, seven everything in the book of Revelation. It's like seven, just about. Remember how many days it took uh, in the beginning. So first mentions is oftentimes very important. There were seven days God created the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. So oftentimes as a, as a result of that, we look at the number seven, or the Bible looks at it as the number seven, as a number of completeness or perfection. Uh, so it, numbers can simply rep represent concepts more than simply statistical data for us to look at. Uh, the number one-third uh, doesn't, one-third comes up a lot in Revelation, doesn't have to mean it equals exactly one-third, 33.33333 out to whatever decimal you want to take that to. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what it is. Twelve, uh, again, and multiples of, of 12 reoccur oftentimes 144,000. So is it really 144,000? Uh, and I know a lot of people, if you're familiar with the book of Revelation at all, it could mean a concept could mean um, a thousand years, could mean a symbol, we just talked about millennium. But we accept readily other places in the Bible that a thousand years is figurative, like God owns the cattle on thousand hills. 
So is it, have you always thought, no, really, it's a thousand hills. I mean, that's it. That's all God owns. And if, all of Texas is Satan's, evidently, because there's a thousand hills in other places. Um, no, we don't really look at it like that. We see it as figurative. We see it as, but all of a sudden in the book of Revelation, it has to be literal. It's got to be this. Um, and I would just, I, cosmic disruptions, I would also, I, when I read, the reason I read the prelude to uh, Esther is because there's these tribulations and, whoo, good catch, tribulations and tumults and all these amazing things that are happening. Um, but when you read the account of Esther, you're like, oh, I didn't really notice all these cosmic things happening. Um, they could not be literal, potentially. Um, you might want to look at it that way. Don't try to force a strict chronological sequence on Revelation as well. In Revelation chapter 6, 12 through 16, we're told that the stars in the sky fell to earth. Okay? How many stars in the sky would it take to destroy earth? Yeah, less than one. Like a, a, a large asteroid could destroy us. Um, so here we're told that these stars of the sky fell to earth. And then later on in the story in 7.3, the four angels are told not to harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servant of God. What what trees, what land, if the star already hit. So there's not necessarily a chronological order, and there might be some non-literal uh, translating going on there. Lastly, uh, well, not, well, not quite lastly, <laughs> uh, take Revelation seriously, but don't always take it literally. And lastly, with this section is uh, in most historic literary books of the Bible. We start with details and we build to the product, understanding what this is all about and how it relates to our lives. I would encourage you to, with the book of Revelation to start with the big picture and work back to the details that are in that story. What, is, what does this cup or this trumpet or this mean? But start with the big picture. And one of the big picture images that is in the book of Revelation is, if you've ever read it, you know that John hears something, hears one thing, and when he turns to look, he sees something completely different. What he sees is the lamb that was slain. I don't know if you have, I hope, I pray that you have people in your life that you would be willing to walk into a fire for, that you would be willing to die for. I have three daughters who I've told since the time they were little that I would die in a heartbeat for you. I love you so much that I would walk into fire for you. There's a lamb that was slain that felt the same way about you, that had that same fierce love, that said, I would walk into fire for you. I care so much about you. God 
chooses in the book of Revelation to give us a big picture of himself, not as uh, the roaring lion or the, uh, although he is all those things, understand, but he chooses to depict themselves when we look at him as a lamb that was slain, someone who sacrificed for us. There's several ways to look at the book of Revelation, and I do appreciate one quote um, from a German theologian. He was a Lutheran German theologian, and he said uh, this very interesting thing. He said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. So I may have, st- I hope I have not, but I've tried to be just descriptive this morning and not step on any toes. Um, but realize, I realize that in essentials and how, when you exactly you think some of these things are going to happen, I would not classify as essentials. I would call those non-essentials. Uh, and there is liberty in those things. But let's observe love in all things.